Yeah, like Dustin said, I'm really curious to see how these practices go and how the staff handles practices. I think it's going to be a huge culture shock for some of these guys that have, they were there for the last part of Jimbo when he was kind of checked out. Then for the two years of Taggart, they're going to be a little shocked, I think, for the first week or two of practice. And I'm, I really am curious to see how players react to it, how the coaches react to the players' reactions to the practices. Um, I'm not going to say I'd be surprised if someone else gets thrown out of practice and decides to leave, um, but I don't think it's going to happen this early on. We'll see. Hey guys, it's Terrence Nan. You're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. Go Dose. Hey, what's up? This is Peter Ward, aka E Dub, in the house. So we're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. Go live, go nose. Hi, this is Charlie Ward, and you're listening to Hear the Spear, go nose. This is Terrell Fuckley. You're listening to Hear the Spear presented by No Game Day. No bloody. But perhaps better known as the greatest corner to ever step on a football field, Deion Primetime Sanders. The great Deion Sanders, my brother. What's going on, man? I could, I could wake up to that greeting every day, man. That was awesome. Hello, those fans. This is former Seminole Derek Brooks, and you're listening to Hear the Spear, presented to you by No Game Day. James Wilder Jr. What's going on, James? Thanks for having me on. SSOD, Florida State or Die, and go no. William Barnon Floyd. Gentlemen, what's up? What is happening, guys? This is Logan from Here the Spear, presented to you by Noel Game Day. We are here on this absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous Monday evening. I don't think we record on a Monday in a little while. Uh, and we are here to get you guys fully prepped. And we're going to jump straight into spring practice, which is going to be starting on Saturday. We're going to go through uh, the top three position battles. Uh, we're going to talk about freshmen that we're looking forward to watching that are early enrolled here in Tallahassee and already camped in, in the champion and champs. Also, uh, we're going to kind of talk about the different vibe and maybe the coaching staff and how this might be a different practice than what Taggart had here in Tallahassee. Uh, and then also we're going to go through a lot of the quick hitters and also some of the strength and conditioning and some of the guys that are gaining weight and the progress there with would-be Blackman and others. We're also going to recap the NFL Combine for Akers and Stanford Samuels. Uh, after all the football stuff, we got a lot of stuff to talk about football-wise. After all of that, we're going to jump into basketball, go uh, recap Florida State's loss to Clemson, uh, and then we're going to go and take and answer y'all's questions that you have given us and y'all's topics. And then at the end, we're going to try to, if we have enough time, run through FSU trivia. And then also, uh, I think we're going to do dad jokes again. Uh before we start off and I introduce the guys, I want to go ahead and shout out our latest five-star review. This is coming from JC Abroad, and he says, five stars, great, great show, guys. Thanks for keeping this Panama City boy living in Ecuador informed. Having said that, instead of a review, I would like to issue a challenge to other Knowles listening abroad to make a five-star review and and let's see who is listening from further away from me i can't be the only one so he's pretty much telling you guys and challenging you uh, if you're listening to this through itunes and you might be farther away from him or anywhere inside the states leave a review and tell us where you're from i think it's a pretty good idea but yeah thank you for the five-star review uh i'm gonna go and jump in and introduce our two guys here with me this evening dustin lewis our lead writer and editor and our lead basketball writer, Austin Beasy. What's up? 
What's going on? Happy happy to be here. Glad I can be here after the monstrosity that I attempted to eat earlier, and I'm still alive. So I think it, I think that's a good result. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I thought this was gonna be a solo or a duo pod between just me and Logan. But uh, glad to have you here, Justin. Glad you can make it through. Yep, the the Pepto-Bismol is what's keeping me going at this point. <laughs> so we had been talking about it for over a week now, but I guess the KF, KFC released a donut sandwich, and that's all over social media. And from when I first saw it, it looked absolutely like a heart attack waiting to happen. <laughs> but Dustin thought otherwise and thought it'd be a good idea to go ahead and take, uh, uh, just buy it and eat all of it. I don't. Did you eat all of it? Dustin? I did. I did not eat all of it. Not even close. What was your What was your first thought after your first bite? Like, what like, was it? Why did I buy this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did your heart start racing? I think my heartbeat. I, I it got to about one seventeen, and yeah. I was like, "Yeah, it's probably this probably wasn't a good choice." But yeah, yeah. If you want me to go ahead and talk about it, it's kind of oh. crazy. Got the donut sandwich. I think it was. Yeah, tell them what it's all about too. Give us the entire review. Yeah, tell entire us what's review on that sandwich. Well, honestly, the guy at KFC was was very nice and taking my order, very polite gentleman, and wished me a good day. And yeah, I didn't I didn't have one after I attempted to eat this donut sandwich. So I got home. First thing it's first thing you notice is it's in this giant box, and I was like, man, this is a big box. There's no way. So like a I Big Mac box, like a Big Mac box. Or it, something? It's like probably one and a half times the size of a big mad box pretty pretty solid box <laughs> good like boxing a, it's, okay it's a whole tree okay that, that they made that box out of so i didn't i didn't think the the donut sandwich should be able to fit inside the entire box it, it was literally to the to the freaking brim of the box <laughs> and it's in it comes in nice wax paper and you'll you'll figure out why i open this thing and dude there's glaze instantly my hands are covered and sugary ass glaze <laughs> it's burning me because i it it's served hot and they, they weren't lying it's literally burning my fingers like candle wax it's all over me i didn't run to the sink and, and turn on the cold water like that was the first thing i did after i opened the box <laughs> but anyway so i finally had to wait for it to cool down the, you need to describe what's what the sandwich is all about to when you get to that part hopefully okay. so it's two glazed donuts and in the middle of it is a chicken tender. Oh, okay. A tender, not even a sandwich, or not even like a... a chicken breast. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a chicken tender. What? I, I feel like that was a poor choice because it was very thin compared to the the donuts. I mean, the donuts were massive, dude. I, yeah. I can, um, dude, you took like eight pictures. Yeah. <laughs> the two donuts compared to the chicken were it was just too much. Outweighed the chicken. By way yeah. too much. plus all the glaze, it it all fell to the bottom donut. So there was the the top donut was pretty much plain, and then the bottom donut. Whenever you picked it up, your fingers are covered in glaze, and I don't know the the bite the the flavor of the bites weren't distributed evenly. Uh, and was the, it? Do you the, think the glaze this, itself? It was like. Do you think this would have been like better with just syrup? It's like doing what? <laughs> it was like drinking Aunt Jemima syrup. <laughs> uh, so what's the final review after this was this worth it for the listeners because i think you thought you know you probably had maybe like four people interested in you eating it so what, what's your review for them final grade yeah in my in my opinion i would go ahead and save your money on this one uh 
I went ahead and tackled it for you, and I'm going. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you don't. You don't want it. Are you, you getting tested it. tomorrow? Are you getting tested tomorrow? I, I accidentally cut myself earlier, and sugar rolled out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, this sandwich, 1,100 calories, 100 grams of carbs, 40 grams of sugars. And I think over 1,500 grams of sodium. So I'm glad I only took three bites. Yeah, you're good now. That's that it. But awful. then you had, but then you had other KFC though that you also bought on the on the side, right? Yeah, so just in fine. case a donut sandwich disappointed, you got to go with your classic three piece meal. Okay, perfect. Well, this is good. We'll have to do this more often. If there's any kind of outrageous fast food meal that any kind of company is releasing dustin lewis will be one of the first one to put their hands on it and i can guarantee that yeah i'm down to sacrifice my health for the betterment of society and i, I think i can do that by reviewing crazy food for you all for the here the spear listeners <laughs> and and real quick can we touch on this austin because i know we, me and you wanted to work on this together but dustin is going through a terrible terrible gambling uh problem uh he texted us if you didn't if you don't follow me on twitter you didn't see it, but Dustin tweeted me in Austin at three o'clock in the morning saying that, uh, don't worry. I'm just sitting here betting on Russian soccer. It's, it's getting out of hand and I think we need an intervention, Dustin. Yeah. I'm doing good though. You, you bet, just on, said you bet you on Northwestern Nebraska. I mean, I lost that one, but I've won some since then and lost a couple. <laughs> I'm not saying you're doing good, but you're betting on bad things. Yeah. Hey, but if you're winning, is it that bad? I'm just going to say the other day I went 3-0 and in Ivy League. Oh, yeah? And you're betting on Ivy League basketball? Yeah, and I won. <laughs> can you name three Ivy League teams? I can name the three I bet on, Harvard, <laughs> Yale, and... Uh, <laughs> That's the third. That's the third. Columbia. <laughs> and and Dartmouth. Okay. Wow. Can't forget them at, for pulling out a late win. Yeah. Did you you turned down their scholarship offers, correct? If I was smart enough to get them, but I wasn't. That was the joke. <laughs> but anyways, that that was something that we'll probably keep an eye on me and us Austin will. This is an ongoing thing with Dustin and you know, these 3 a.m. texts about betting on Russian soccer is really Hey, scary. I'll just say, so far, I've turned I've turned $50 into $400, so it's working out. Okay, good. Now, enabling gamblers, <laughs> encouraging them. Perfect. If you uh, why quit? That's, that is right. I don't blame you. Uh, all right, so let's jump into football. We have a lot, a lot, a lot to cover on this episode, so let's jump straight into it. Let's go ahead and recap the two Knowles that were in Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. Did you two watch any of it? There were two weekend? there? Was... <laughs> the only one mattered. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> Cam Akers was in attendance also. Stanford Samuels the third was also. Uh, Cam Akers, I, we talked about it beforehand. I know on my side of things, I was just I was certainly expecting to show off his athleticism, and so he did. And I believe, if I'm so correct, I was the one that predicted the closest 40 time yes, sir. to the uh, to Cam Akers. So I'm kind of wondering what I get it, that I won that because I predicted a 4-4-7. 
We said on the last podcast, whoever one's got a KFC donut sandwich. So <laughs> you get your own heart attack. Okay. Oh, great. So I predicted a four four nine. I let's just look at this. I predicted a four four nine, so point oh two off. Austin predicted a four five two, and Dustin predicted a four five eight. What do he you was have gonna say again? four sixes? How are we ever going to get Cam Akers on here if you're going to be doing that, Dustin? Jesus. See, the thing is, I, I knew Cam is an avid listener, and I wanted him to to be motivated going into Indianapolis, and I, I did just that. I did exactly what I was trying to do. Not not the millions of dollars, but listening to Dustin Lewis would motivate him. Ex- I mean, it, it helps out. <laughs> I just want to know how many former Florida State players you're trying to get on your bad side. Yeah. Because the list is ever-growing at this point. We need well, we need to stay on the good side. The I list think, of Florida State players on my bad side aren't welcome on this podcast anyway. Well, they're welcome on ours, me and Austin's. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so what are y'all's thoughts on Cam Akers? Obviously, a lot of the analysts there and reporters were noting live on air that he had a great day and his stock most certainly improved. A lot of them were putting him in the top five. Could he have moved into the top three with that performance? Yeah, he absolutely killed it from his 40 time, which was insane. I I did not expect him to run that fast. Also hit 20 reps on the bench press, broad jump of 122 inches, vertical jump of 35.5 inches, and a 20-yard shuttle of 4.42 seconds, which when you look at his numbers compared to Dalvin Cook's numbers in the 2017 combine, they're they're extremely similar, which I think speaks to – both of their athleticism. And then outside of what he did um, in, in drills on the field and in, in his workouts, Cam was very impressive. He showed off great footwork and was getting a lot of praise from the NFL coaches and attendants that are running the drills. And overall just looked very fluid out there amongst the other NFL run, or the other running backs at the NFL combine. So like you said, Logan, definitely think his stock is on the rise He's going to get another chance to show off to NFL scouts if he decides to work out at Florida State's Pro Day, which I think he'll probably do. Plus, he'll have some private workouts with teams. And he was very impressive speaking with the media and most likely in interviews as well. I mean, he's a very extremely smart guy, very well-spoken and very humble. So excited excited for Akers moving into April because I, I think he has a chance. I, I don't think he's going lower than the second round, but – after seeing what he did at the Combine, I think there's a chance that he goes in the first round. Yeah, like you, like you said, Dustin, he had, a, he had a great workout, and he was doing everything he needed to, and then some. He had, I know on the leak-out drills where he's catching passes, he had a one-hand catch. That was a tough throw on the quarterback, but he still caught it. Um, great great athleticism, great times on everything, great numbers. I think his his first run, I think, was a 4-5-3, which would have been right around my mark, and then he improved to a 4-4-7, which was – it's a that's a very good number for him, especially given his size. Um, I don't know if he'll move into the top three running backs, but he definitely improved, maybe by a round in total stock because he had a he had a hell of a day. Yeah, he did. His on field and like Dustin said, well, his on field was very impressive and looked very smooth um, over the bags, and then also the way he spoke to media. He's always been more of the mature type. Uh, but the way he obviously got questioned pretty early on about the situation he had to go through with the offensive line, yeah, and, you know, and then the struggle there, and you know, he 
you know, he, he kind of tried to note that he obviously was having had a rough time at, at some parts going through it. But, you know, he didn't want to put the blame on his teammates, obviously. And I think it's pretty damn impressive on what he did with that offensive line more than anything and how he was able to progress and actually make stats for himself and have and have another 1000 yard uh, rushing season, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, Logan, he didn't he didn't really trash the offensive line at all when he honestly had every right to. I mean, the last the last two years of his career at Florida State, the offensive line was downright dreadful and arguably the worst position group in the country. And even in 2017, he didn't have that good of a unit in front of him. And just uh, the production he had while at Florida State with with that kind of line in front of him just speaks to how talented how talented he is and how well he can adjust his game and i think that's something a team at the next level is really going to look at on the other side of things stanford samuels the third had a pretty rough day uh, highlighting here the most of it uh, he runs a 465 and his 40 only three other defensive backs during the NFL Combine on Sunday, recorded a slower time than him. And if you didn't listen to it on the clip, but Deion Sanders is always in attendance for this on Sundays when the defensive backs take the field. And he kind of threw a little bit of shade towards, uh, a little shade, shade towards Samuels and was pretty much telling me, you know, that's going to be moved over to the safety spot. That, you know, corners nowadays, that that. that you running that slow is not going to be able to make it. So any thoughts on that? Because I, in particular, was not able to sit down and watch that. But going and looking back at clips and obviously getting the times, just a just a pretty rough day for Stanfield Samuels III, who left early to uh, pursue his dream, dreams to go to the NFL. Yeah, he's not much like his dad, is he? Uh um, career-wise, and I, I, I'm not gonna say anything else. <laughs> well, I think I think it's just you know, mm, tough. I mean, we saw. I mean, the I'll be honest. I mean, fans are like, well, that that time that he ran that in, in the NFL Combine uh, is about as parallel as what it was in this this last season to getting beat multiple numerous times. Yeah, and I mean, we said it whenever he declared for the NFL we were shocked because this is kind of what we expected is his tape didn't really show that he had a chance to to be selected in the NFL and now now we're seeing why yeah any thoughts on that Austin on Stanford Samuel's performance there yeah I, I don't think it helped that he I don't think he bench pressed there are a couple other things that he didn't do running a time that slows as a defensive backs obviously not going to help and then somehow, I think it was Bleach Report had him in the second or third round of their mock draft. Yeah, that was saved by Matt Miller. Yeah, completely embarrassing by him. But yeah, I, I don't. I think I don't he must flop the names because he put he put um, Acres as like the ninety something pick or something. Yeah, but even like Stanford that. in yeah, the third yeah. round is embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, no, he had him way ahead of Cam Akers, which is not going to be the case, but. Yeah, not not good. I, yeah, I mean, it, it really just sucks because a guy I think that could have impressed at the Combine is Levante Taylor, who is a heck of an athlete. I mean, yeah. he wouldn't have ran an embarrassing 40 time like that. I think he'll have a – he'll 
have a very good pro day, which I'm we'll get into whenever it gets closer. But obviously, not not the greatest time for Sam for Samuels at third, and hopefully, you know, he can improve on that and look and learn from it. And we'll see what happens when he comes into pro day because I'm sure that's gonna, his his big focus right now is improving a lot of this. Let's talk a little bit about the strength and conditioning, which was obviously the been the big highlight the last four weeks or so under Coach Storms and company. James Blackman has gained another 10 pounds. Uh, and obviously, since his beginning here at Florida State, his size, well, his, his height has always been there. But obviously, the meat on those bones has kind of been always he's just a light kind of dude but obviously gaining another 10 pounds uh, he kind of noted on this too uh, before the season started saying you know gaining weight like that also put some strength on his arm where he was able to throw the ball deeper and he obviously already has a pretty strong arm going deep he has a long range of motion but uh, James Blackman gains another 10 pounds uh, and if I'm correct that put him around 210 to 15 Yep, I mean, you love to see it. Like you said, Logan James Blackman has always been a, a smaller guy in stature, and especially with the hits he's taken over the first three years of his career. I mean, didn't play as much in 2018 while getting that redshirt, obviously, but in 2017 and 2019, the amount of hits he he's taken just it's he he's not going to be able to continue to hold up with with the body he has, and he's going to have to continue to add weight. So these these 10 pounds are definitely a good start. Love to see him add another 10 to 15 pounds before this season. And if he comes back um, in, in 2021, just to continue adding weight in this program, which with Josh Storms, a, a proven, proven strength and conditioning coach, I think that's a definite possibility. He can add all the weight he wants to. There's some fans that are just tired of hearing about him at this point, which is a shame because he's still on the roster. But there are plenty of tweets that said it doesn't matter. I've already seen enough. So there are fans that are ready to move on. And I know we'll get to that when we talk about our position battles. But he's going to have to prove more than just adding weight in the weight room to show he can be the starting quarterback this season. Another player that has gained weight, Marion Terry, says he's gained 15 pounds. And this is a – I got a question here, which came straight to my mind. Is this a – does he need to do that? Is that a good thing for Tamara Ontario? No, because he's obviously in this next upcoming combine, <laughs> he's probably going to run one of the fastest 40s. But I do mean, you think this good is weight. a good If it's good weight, sure. But I think he showcased in front of a lot of fans, and we've talked about it on here too. I have never, I didn't know he was that fast. Uh, the way he could turn it into another gear like that. I mean, there was times last year where I thought, okay, he's going to get tackled, right? And nope, he's not. He's gone. Bye. <laughs> sideline. I mean, he showcased in the first game of the season against Boise State. I thought there was no way. But he gains another 15 pounds good weight. Do you think it's a good idea or not? Should he stay down there? Should he gain any more? Should he not? What are y'all's thoughts? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm looking at the roster right now. Tamora Ontario is list- listed at six foot four, 203 pounds. So if you go ahead and add the the 15 pounds onto that, he's around 218 or so at this point. Which I mean, for a six foot four receiver, um, a guy that is as strong as Tamori Ontario is. I mean, you look at his frame; he's a guy that's very well built. Like Austin said, if this is good weight, I think he can potentially play a 
probably up to about 225 pounds or so and continue to keep that speed and maybe even get a little bit faster depending on the muscle he's adding. Yeah, like does like Dustin just said, if it's good weight, because there he does look a little slight. So if it's good weight to where he can be more steady against the press and get off that press easier, then I see no problems with it. Fifteen is enough for me on my side of things. He doesn't need to gain any more, so that's going to be it. I'm going to cut him off, Coach Storms. Um, Maintain. And right there, you take care of it. That's it. No more weight. Keep the speed. You're fine. He was able to. be as physical as he could last year, I think he's going to be all right. I don't want to see him at 225 personally, but that's just me. I I want him to keep his speed because that's the way he got numerous touchdowns last season was able to get that extra um, get-go ahead of these DBs. So Uh, another I'd be be interested to see what Auden Tate, guys like Greg Carr, maybe even Kelvin Benjamin before, you know, he gained too much weight, what they were in their times at Florida State. Yeah, because obviously Terry's not the same build as Auden Tate, and obviously Terry is way quicker than Auden Tate was. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think of Auden Tate being the closest to what Kelvin Benjamin was size-wise. I think KB obviously had more weight, I think, in the legs than anything. Um, he was just a bigger guy, too. I mean, he should be playing tight end right now. <laughs> Where is Kelvin Benjamin? Is he still at the Chiefs? No, he's been in the league for a no, little bit. No, he's eaten. <laughs> like you I mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly that's the one guy I do want to have on the podcast that is someone I will I'm I want to hear some of his food takes <laughs> yeah do you I would love to I love food so I would love to hear anybody's food takes I'm, don't be throwing any shade at anybody else uh, another guy that's been getting after it who has just come from came from a nasty injury, Jaden Lars would be is squatting again after his atrocious knee injury in, 20, in the 2019 season. Uh, he's up to 219 pounds and is benching 355. That is 345s. And I'm doing the math. I'm doing the math. Two tens and a five. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Woodby's he's putting on a little bit of weight too. What's going on here? I mean, I know they're about to get into spring and then we run a little bit more, but Woodby as a DB, he's most likely this is probably setting him up to go at uh, kind of like that versatile role that Darwin James played back in a strong safety position. What, what's your thoughts on this, Dustin? Yeah, again, I, I think it just points to what Josh Storms is doing. I mean, how nice is it to have an actual qualified strength and conditioning coach after? What um, Taggart had and whatever his name was, Ira Lay, Odorinde, however you say it. <laughs> Ira Linde? Odorinde? I don't know. Odorinde? I don't, I don't really care. He's not here anymore. The guy wasn't qualified. I've said it before. The guy wasn't qualified to be a strength and strength and conditioning coach. You're he saying coach, Od- coach Odor stunk. <laughs> okay, whatever you said. But he worked out the guy's so hard at Oregon and I guess in such an incorrect way that they had to go to the hospital because um, they were breaking down I think it was actual muscle in their blood I forget what the actual thing is called like starts with an R long R word whatever but it's just nice to have an actual 
qualified strength and conditioning coach back in Tallahassee, and it's going to work wonders for this program. Already showing some signs here with Blackman, Terry, and, and Woodby, and a lot of other guys as well are putting up big numbers in the weight room. Logan, yeah. I think you can talk about a few of those guys. Yeah, there's a few that I've I always love off-season strength and conditioning, and I always keep an eye on guys that are hitting form right, technique, and that's some storms to start off right off the bat with a few of these guys. Dennis Briggs, keep an eye out. Your favorite player. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where this <laughs> came from. I don't know why I always kept my eye on him whenever he'd be subbed into games, but look, just keep an eye on him this spring. I know we'll get into spring stuff here in just in a minute. Dennis Briggs, uh, I'm looking also – uh, who am I? Th- uh, Kando. Keep an eye on Kando too. I mean, everybody's looking at him already to be that that star defensive end once again after his injury early on in the season last year against Virginia. But Kando is lifting some big weight too. He was already throwing some big weight last season too, so this is no surprise. But I think with J. Rob, who's dealing, I think with like a little injury right now, <laughs> recovering from that. Um, there is some disgusting size on Florida State's offensive end uh, position. You got Dennis Briggs. They all kind of like look like clones. Obviously, Janaris Robinson is just a different animal. But Kane Doe has size. Dennis Briggs is a big boy. Um, uh, and I think right now with Dennis Briggs, he's kind of like, you know what? Let me get my time in. Let me compete with Kane Doe and lift. And I think Kane Doe's got more strength on him. But Dennis Briggs is still trying to hang along. I saw that... Um, they were doing uh, cleans the other day, and Dennis was able to keep up with Kane, though. I don't know if this will be able to go on for another week because uh, he kind of looked like it was about – that was probably close to his max weight, and Kando kind of looked a little bit more uh, relaxed when cleaning it. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested in Briggs looking into the spring. And then also Travis J has been all over since the beginning of these highlight videos of them working out and the IPF along with lifting too. Travis J might have a chip on his shoulder. He might be pissed off, and that usually works good really well in the weight room. Uh, and Travis J already is. If everybody were to go look at his huddle page and look at his highlights in high school, Travis J from Madison County is a dirty mofo, and uh, he will light you up. So I'm uh, there's we'll get into the spring stuff, but there's a lot of guys. True Thompson is, is I think on every strength uh, workout video from coach storms. He has awesome form. He's just a strong guy. He's got tree trunks for legs, uh, and he's a weight room monster. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how his spring goes too, uh, and see if he can ja- jump into rotation. Marvin Wilson, um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of good stuff coming out. And like coach storm said, he only is going to put in leaders into these videos, guys that are doing well, in the weight room more than anything. And then um, Blackman's been in a lot of these videos too. I think almost every one of them. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much the latest coming out of the weight room. Uh, real quick before we run into, run into spring stuff, like we said, we got a lot of talk talk about tonight. But uh, real quick, I found something on Twitter reading up on an image I saw of coach norvell talking to high school coaches i do believe and i saw an image shot with a powerpoint that said players his players will be wearing a certain patch that will be stitched to their jerseys and these players have to have a 3.0 or higher gpa and that will stay on their jersey throughout the season dustin could you wear this patch right now on your jersey if i stole one 
Gotta go Astros mode, baby. <laughs> oh, man. Da- Austin, could you wear one? I could for almost my entire college career. Oh, I graduated with a uh, 3-1, so you know. Okay. So you could. You could wear it. Um, I'm on, like, the brink. I'm like, eh, yeah, I could. And then, uh, so I'm, like, right on that, like, edge. So I'm, I'm teetering right there. Uh, but what are y'all's thoughts on this? Because, obviously, Coach Norvell was stressing hard. And he's doing this mainly in, a lot in front of boosters. And also, he's trying to stress it to high school coaches and how much you want to be uh, kind of putting in motivation for these guys and how how the discipline roles go with keeping your academics high as long as you know you're doing good in the classroom you you can play football but anyways what are y'all's thoughts on this coming from coach Norvell and the little patches they'll be wearing yeah I think it just goes back to him talking about holding the guys to higher standards and um showing that football is the most important thing and obviously academics are right there along with football if you don't have the grades you're not going to be able to play so this is just a way of him you know showing showing thanks to the guys who are putting in that extra effort off the field yeah, we, we've talked consistently about how some of these guys are about clout this is another way for these guys to get clout on the field <laughs> i and, uh, I got a lot of comments because I tweeted it out, and I got a lot of comments from people saying, oh, wow, 3.0 GPA. And mainly, mainly it, it's rivals, so I probably shouldn't even be noting on this, but I think there was a few FSU fans saying, oh, what a big deal. Oh, biggie, biggie. But I, I wish, because I've been able to see it, I have relationships with a few players. I wish people, and Austin knows this too, with being close, extremely close with the basketball team when he was there and still, but the way how much throughout the day these players definitely most certainly through the fall but definitely i mean even now going through workouts still watching film uh, and also having to go to class maybe having to do media obligations having to do other things community service just the the schedule that these players go through is ridiculous like i even before that i was not thinking it was that. I was like, oh, they get tutoring, all this kind of stuff. All right, then they should most certainly be fine academically. But the way that I see the the schedule that they go through, and then even when they go on travel and they go travel to other games, I mean, they're away games. They are doing uh, work before their practice, before they watch film. They're doing school work there. And obvious, and you also got to understand, man, when you're working out like that, doing all that kind of stuff, and your mind's just ready just to shut off like that, you want nothing to do do with the reflection you want nothing to do with the 3000 word essay um online quiz to study for that beforehand there's just you don't want to do that so i think it, i think it's worth noting uh, a 3.0 gpa is is in my opinion and and a good it's an impressive thing for these players to have when they're going through the craziness that a college a football player has to go through week in and week out day in day out pretty much and I'm sure Austin can note on how ba- what basketball and their schedule goes through. Yeah, I'll also say for yeah. ba- for basketball, they don't we don't even have morning practices. There's only a couple weeks where they have morning conditioning. So for the most part, it's classes 8 a.m. to about 1 or 2 p.m. Then they have tutoring. Then practice is usually 3 or 4 o'clock. That includes film. Film is built in with the practice. They eat, get done about seven seven thirty once they're done done eating so they get home at eight they still have to do homework they still have to watch film they still have to do all this by the time they go to bed at one or two o'clock 
you know, they don't get much sleep and sleep's the most important part of recovery for an athlete. So these guys are very busy. They get very little free time, at least with basketball. I don't know exactly how it is with football because I know they have morning stuff as well, but I imagine it's just as busy. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen numerous players schedule sheets and it's, it's through the roof. So I think it's pretty interesting. And obviously Norvell is pushing hard and, and trying to keep this. I've, I'm on campus. Dustin's on campus. I go into a building every day, and I have I see a golf cart out there, and they're keeping an eye, making sure everybody's going to class. The players are. He's keeping a being very strict on that front academically. Uh, let's run into spring football. We're we're already here. I feel like time is flying by. We're almost pretty much halfway through the spring semester. I have an exam on Thursday, which I'm so excited about. Uh, and we're about to start spring practice. We're about to have Coach Norvell in action on the practice field. 2020 FSU football. We're going to get our first glimpse at it. Some youngins are here. What are y'all's first initial thoughts that are going through y'all's heads just thinking about Coach Norvell on the field with a almost pretty much new, completely new staff revamped in a whole lot of different ways on field off field what are y'all's thoughts heading into this because first practice is going to be held and we are going to be in attendance for it if it becomes public uh it's going to be happening this upcoming saturday but y'all give me y'all's thoughts heading into this um yeah i'm really i would say that i'm really excited to see how things unfold um it's going to be a lot different than what Taggart and his staff did. It's going to be a totally di- different atmosphere and intensity level, I think. And I think just the the attention to detail that some of these coaches take to their specific position groups will pay off in the long run for these guys. And I'm expecting to see a lot of teaching this spring, and I'm interested to see what we the, – the final result of it, at least, in the spring game later on. Yeah, like Dustin said, I'm really curious to see how these practices go and how the staff handles practices. I think it's going to be a huge culture shock for some of these guys that that were there for the last part of Jimbo when he was kind of checked out. Then for the two years of Taggart, they're going to be a little shocked, I think, for the first week or two of practice. And I really am curious to see how players react to it, how the coaches react to the players' reactions to the practices. Um, I'm not going to say I'd be surprised if – Someone else gets thrown out of practice and decides to leave. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen this early on. We'll see. Um, and there's a lot of great position battles to watch out for as well, which I think we're about to get into. Yeah, which we are going to jump into real quick. I Before we jump into these two, y'all tell me, it doesn't matter, freshman, early, early on, early enrollee, if I can speak correctly, uh, anybody named, which player jumps out in your mind real quick? This is not even in the notes, but which player jumps out to you guys that you're most looking forward to hearing from and learning and, and, and watching that you're, you're wanting to keep up with heading into this spring practice that coach Norvell is going to have his first debut. You said which early and really? No, which, which it doesn't have to be in early and oh, early or any anyone, player. just any player. Oh, okay. Any player. And I think I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to pull I'm gonna have to pull Dustin's mouth away from the mic because he might be as close as it gets to I'm, it. I'm I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> God, that mic is that mic is good. That's, it's a com- it's a different computer, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that might be it. But go ahead, Austin. For me, I think the obvious choice is Emmett Rice. 
He changed his mm-hmm. number to one. We saw him really step up towards the end of the season. Can he carry that through the offseason and give that leadership to, A, deserve the number one, and B, to back it up? Um, that linebacker spot's been a weak point since Telvin Smith left. Can he finally be that guy that brings some consistency to that position? Hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and say James Blackman because I, I think this spring – it's so important to how his career is going to finish at Florida State. Obviously, he's been he's been through the Jimbo Fisher era, he's been through the Willie Taggart era, and now he's on to his third coach in four years, in Mike Norvell. And he start he started under Fisher, he started under Taggart, he's showed signs of being a great quarterback. Logan, you said earlier in this podcast, he he has a cannon for an arm. There's no denying his arm strength. And he, he also has good ability, but at times there are just certain breakdowns, whether it's making the wrong read, throwing a bad ball, things like that, where his consistency just needs to get better. And I think Norvell and Dillingham, I think they have the, the potential to bring James Blackman's full potential out of them. So this spring is going to be the first steps towards that. And I'm excited to see how he takes the challenge. He's already been adding weight like we talked about and really looking like a leader during these workouts. And it's just got to continue to on the field. If I was going to make a pick, there's a few guys. I have three, but uh, I noted on Dennis Briggs too, but one player that I want to see that I think a lot of people do. And we noted on earlier is Travis J not only just defensively, but there's a good chance he could be used in kickoff return, maybe in punt return, uh, he obviously, if nobody knew in Madison County, he play offensively too, playing a whole different range of things. I think he's kind of like the next, uh, up and coming, like he's the next G five, Greg Reed coming in violent, hard hitter. Uh, and we didn't get to see a lot of him from, we didn't get to see any of them last season whatsoever. There was academics rumored things, holding him back on that front from high school, but it seems like he's a full go. All gas, no brakes. Travis J is someone that I just personally just am intrigued to want to see and see how he plays and where he's going to be utilized, which we're going to get into. And that secondary where Akeem Dent was in on the far backfield at safety. Where does Travis J work in that mix? Because I think Florida State really wanted him to stay at Florida State, Madison County, local guy nearby. Travis J is someone that is a violent specimen, uh, and I think he's the closest to. I think he's going to be the closest to our one of our, I think a lot of fans' past favorite with G5 and Greg Reed and what he brought to the table. Uh, whenever he was laying out Marshawn Lattimore uh, and returning uh, punt returns and just like kind of like an exciting player to have on the field uh, and just just a mean mofo to lay you out so. Uh, Travis J is going to probably going to be my pick on what I'm most interested and intrigued in seeing in the spring. And I think he's going to be fired up too. You know, you, you get held back like that, it, it pisses you off. You have a different kind of mental state heading into uh, definitely when you get pads on like that. Ooh boy, I don't want to <laughs> be that. I don't be. I don't want to be that running back uh, that's giving that toss off to the side with him coming at you. All right, so top three position battles. Y'all ready for some conversation here? Yes, sir. All right. All right. So we got quarterbacks as number one. 
Obviously, this is going to be another quarterback competition situation here. Florida State is still waiting on Chuba Purdy to be here. He's not early enrolled. A true freshman Tate Roadmaker is here, though. Uh, Jordan Travis, obviously, James Blackman, and Wyatt Rector are these quarterbacks that will be competing in the spring. What are y'all's thoughts? Just with those names coming in, maybe some, maybe who you're looking forward to watching. And obviously, I think Austin has some interesting things on what he want, thinks about maybe James Blackman. And, you know, maybe it's time to really just move on and give another person a chance here. Yeah, I don't know if it's whoa. necessarily time to move on. Whoa, whoa. But I, there are some people that are, I think they're just ready to see something different. But we've talked about before on this podcast before, grass isn't always green on the other side. Blackman has that experience. He's been there for two coaching staffs or three coaching staffs now. Does the staff have the confidence in him to be the full-time starter and be that leader? We'll see. I'm really excited to see what Roadmaker can provide and see if he can give that challenge to Blackman. And I think he's certainly talented enough. I don't know if he'll be able to right away. Um, But Roadmaker's definitely going to have that uh, step up on Purdy when he gets on campus. What about you, Dustin? How are you feeling after, you know, are you still on that on that positive thinking for James Blackman? Are you feeling optimistic for him? Well, what I just say, not even five minutes ago. <laughs> well, I don't listen to you as much, so. Oh, well. That's <laughs> no one does. Oh, damn. Well, Jeez. yeah, I think the staff can can be really good for Blackman. I think they can bring the his full potential out and – it's really going to just come down to his trust in Dillingham and Norvell and what they want to do on offense. And for for the coaching staff, it's if Blackman can run the offense as effectively as they want to. And I think that's just something that we're going to have to see throughout its progression this spring. But Blackman has a lot of good tools in his game, and he's got some things to shore up for sure. But there's no reason to give up on him at this point. He's shown a lot of signs of – being able to be a good to elite college quarterback. Out of the two between Jordan Travis and Tate Roadmaker, big time prediction here. Hot. Who's the if 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 we're predicting Blackman to come out of the spring, obviously Chubba Purdy isn't here on campus yet, but who's the number two guy? Does Roadmaker beat out Jordan Travis? I would As a true freshman? I would say yes, just because at this point, Jordan Travis is still more of a, a I don't athlete. know what. Yeah, an athlete, a trick player. Doesn't um, fit the offense. We haven't, re- we haven't really got to see him throw the ball very much, so yeah. we don't really know that much about his arm talent. Yeah, he's a heck of a scrambler, but you've got to be able to throw in college football, so. That's something he's going to have to prove he can do this spring to the coaching staff. If he can do that, I, I think he's right there in the thick of the coaching – or the quarterback battle. <laughs> the coaching battle? Yeah, the coaching <laughs> battle. Because, I mean, Norvell, he's very fluid with how with how, he's, how he likes his quarterbacks. Uh, Brady White this past year at Memphis, not much of a scrambler. But he does like having a mobile guy, and Travis would fit into that mold if, if he has the arm. But – um. Roadmaker, Rodemaker, however you want to say it. Roadmaker sounds way more badass, even if Rodemaker is the correct way to pronounce the name. 
the the staff brought him in for a reason. They they really liked his tools, just based off uh, what I've seen from him. He has an extremely strong arm, very accurate, putting the ball into tight windows. Um, pretty good, pretty good scrambler too. Definitely mobile, athletic enough to be able to move the chains with his legs and get away from opposing defenders. So the staff brought him in for a reason, and him being here on campus this early in his career, that's only going to benefit him. And yeah, I think he's definitely got the talent to be the number two. He's just got to show it. Yeah, if, going back to Jordan Travis, if this was Navy or mid two thousand Georgia Tech, he's clear number one, but we're not. So. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, still a true freshman coming in, but Jordan Travis fit the uh, Kendall Bryles and Willie Taggart offense most certainly more than what he would fit the Mike Norvell offense and kind of be, I mean, still going to be quick. It's going to be a quick pro style, but your number one favorite going into that who came in as a pro style under Jimbo Fisher is James Blackman, obviously. So, you know, that's where I think Roadmaker might have a bigger chance here where you might see in a few weeks where Roadmaker is getting uh, those behind reps of Blackman. I think Blackman is going to be the go-ahead. I mean, we always got to make these predictions. It's so silly doing this kind of stuff. But, I mean, that's what people want to know about on Twitter. I guarantee it. But I'm not going to be shocked. Nobody should be shocked. And they won't be when Blackman is going to most likely be the – uh, taking starting quarterback reps and anybody will and, and people report or say whatever if he's just taking snaps in a friggin' stupid drill and being like oh well he's t- he's the first one in line doing it uh, but whenever you're starting you're getting on uh, seven on seven or you're taking full scrimmage you know people want to know whenever that starting quarterback is so and I'm, I'm not gonna be shocked if it's James Blackman would anybody else in here be shocked I think he's a clear favorite I think it's gonna be James Blackman yeah um, so a lot of people in the comments are going to be losing their minds, but they they also got to understand this is spring, and I think when Chubba Purdy comes in too, there's going to be some good competition. I think Roadmaker also, and this is just from a physicality standpoint, Blackman and Roadmaker are kind of got that kind of same build, right, Dustin? If I'm correct, tall, lanky. Yeah, um, he's definitely a guy that needs to add some weight. Not as much as Blackman, but. He has to keep adding weight. How much does Tate Roadmaker weigh? Do we have that nearby? Let's see. Wow, we're Tate here. Roadmaker is six foot four, one hundred ninety pounds. Wow. James see, Blackman that, is currently listed at six foot five, one hundred ninety five pounds as a redshirt junior. Wow. So yeah, saying about I, almost close to identical. James Blackman's just got a little bit tall, more another inch on him. Well, plus but, James Blackman was about one seventy five when he enrolled. So yeah. Yeah, true. Um, so yeah, I think it, it, it's an it'll be an interesting spring practice. We'll hopefully if the practices are open to the public, we'll be there firsthand. We also do plan on having, if we can, and tech technical ways allow us, we're gonna try to do an instant reaction, 15, 20 minutes to our quick thoughts and you know Norvell's first spring practice. If, if we're able to be there, uh, if they allow us. Um, but yeah. Anyways, let's move on to the defensive backs, which is our number two in our top three position battles tonight. 
This is an interesting one, which I think is always a good conversation because there's always a good amount of rich talent that comes to Florida State on the defensive back field. But a lot of things might be moved around here. Obviously, Stanford Samuels III just competed in the NFL Combine. But uh, you're looking at you got to fill fill the void there and bring down a, someone to f- be on the other side of Asante Samuel Jr., who's expected, of course, to be the starter in his third season. But Asante Samuel Jr., if, uh, coming straight from me as a dog, uh, I'm excited to see him. I think he's going to step up and be a big vocal leader. I think he was more of a, a low. I think he was bigger leader uh, physicality-wise, uh, and he showed it on the field, too. He was by far the best corner for Florida State last season. But I think he might take more of a – might put away – I mean, I think he'll still be a trash talker on the field, but I think he'll move towards uh, being a little bit of a more vocal leader and leadership-wise. But there's a lot to uh, talk about in this, this defensive backfield. Yeah, and for this, I figure we'd each go ahead and list – are four starting well who we think are going to be the four starting dbs all right well what do you what do you want to start off first yeah i mean please do i i would pleased if you would do that for us so obviously one of the jobs that is locked up i mean no one's going to take his spot is asante samuel at cornerback opposite cornerback i'm going with Travis J. I think he's going to step up and really be a game-changing playmaker. Logan, you said it earlier when we were texting, but he's kind of like a Greg Reed type of guy. So I'm I'm excited to see him in the lineup. Then at safety, if if Hamza is healthy enough to go in the spring, which not really sure at this point, I think he's definitely going to be one of the starting safeties. And then Jaden Lars would be, depending on what his actual position is, is defined as right now have him at safety, but we'll see. He might get flexed around. And if Jaden's not at safety, if he's somewhere else, then I've got Akeem Dent. So I'm very similar. I think the only change I'm going to make is Akeem Dent at corner instead of Travis J. Um, and without, I don't think Hobbs is going to be ready to go for the spring. I don't think we'll see him until the summer, maybe. So while Jaden's getting, Jaden probably won't be playing much either in the spring. So your starting stages right. for the spring might be. Fagan and Gant, or Fagan and Carlos Becker, who's the season vet. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Um, Gee, what that? It's going to look a little bad. Fagan and Cyrus Fagan and Carlos Becker. <sighs> what about it? It's like two trash cans next to each other. No, no. <laughs> Here he goes. How about... We'll get in this discussion later when spring starts. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. And this is we already are about an hour in, but let me go and get my prediction real quick. So I think Asante obviously locked down your number one uh, number one cornerback. I think, and me and Austin are gonna agree on this one. Akeem Dent drops down. This is where he plays best from high school. This is where he's gonna be a lockdown guy, uh, and he can still use his physicality too. Uh, and then. This is where Travis J. He's been around the team. He wasn't kicked off the team. Uh, I think Travis J. is going to be thrown in a lot with Isaiah Bolden. Also, since like we were talking about, Hamza Nazrul Dean is still recovering from some sort of injury, uh, but we've heard that his his progress is doing very well. Uh, and then also, Jaden Lars would be 
he's squatting uh, a good amount of weight right now. Obviously, he's squatting a good amount, but uh, it's a little bit different than what you'll be doing and working with your knee out on the field. Uh, so I, I'm. It's all mixed around between you got Carlos Becker obviously out there. Uh, look at Brendan Gant too. I think he just has a little bit. He's got to move up maturity wise, and I think he will. Obviously, he's young and but coming up, very physical guy too. It's going to be moved all around, but I think by the end of spring, if we're thinking end of spring, um, I got Asante. I'll go. It's 50 50 between Jay and Isaiah Bolden. Um, I'll go, of course, Lars would be and Hamsa. Well, now I'm picking three safeties, but Hamsa, Jane Lars would be, and then um, there came down uh, on the opposite side of the corner. So. Let's move on to our last position, a big position battle, the running back situation. Kane LeBourne, Deshaun Corbin, Texas A&M transfer. Anthony Grant is expected to be back full force. He is before the spring. Uh, and Sheffield, who obviously had some playing time a little bit, has a walk-on so far and obviously was the expected starter against Arizona State. What are y'all's initial thoughts heading into this on the offensive side of things? Um, it's a, it's a virtual unknown, honestly, because, um, Kalan LeBourne, he's had that knee problem ever since he's been at Florida state, ever since he suffered that injury, uh, against Virginia tech and obviously had a surgery toward, towards the end of 2019 to get it cleaned up. So we're not really sure how he'll be participating in, in spring practice. And then there's Deshaun Corbin, who I believe had a torn hamstring, early in the season last year for Texas A&M after starting the season as the Aggies starting running back, which ended up sidelining him for the rest of 2019. I did see that he's actually back to squatting at this point. So I think he's going to be a go in the spring, but again, we just, we just don't know on those two and they're probably your top two running backs coming into the 2020 season. Then you have Anthony Grant again, virtual unknown, the guy, we don't. He wasn't even really on the team last year. He he left during the middle of the year, never really came back. I guess until Mike Norvell got hired, so <laughs> played sparingly as a true freshman. I think he finished with eight carries for literally zero yards, and yeah, so he's he's back. And then you have Deontay Sheffield, um, who looked pretty good in the bowl game against Arizona State. Thought he ran very well and I actually predicted him to have a good game he's a solid player he's just been kind of lost in the shuffle with all the talent Florida State has had at running back year in and year out he's actually a member of the class um, with Cam Akers, Zachondre White and Kalan LeBourne so I mean all that talent he's just kind of been in the background a little bit but he does a great job whenever recruits are coming into Tallahassee and being a host and things like that so I was happy to see him get his shot against Arizona State Definitely um, still going to be down in the rotation when it comes to the running backs. Yeah, like Dustin said, this is a virtual unknown between injuries and disappearings and walk-ons. And until we start getting some guys in the summer, this is going to be a very questionable backfield for now. Um, really, I think it's just more about getting these guys healthy than it is about them improving, to be honest. Anthony Grant, my eyes are on him. Keep an eye on Anthony Grant. He's going to push LeBourne 
for a lot of reps early on, in my opinion. He's going to be hungry. Didn't get to play last season. Keep an eye on Anthony Grant. A lot of people were looking. They thought he was going to compete very hard with Kalen uh, this last offseason. And obviously, we didn't get to see him play. So, Anthony Grant is a guy that um, people might want to keep an eye out for the start of spring. And I think he can be utilized in different ways, too, on that offense that Norvell's running. Uh, all right, so let's jump into our last two things here, previewing the spring, the start of a spring practice. What are some freshmen that you guys might be looking forward to watching on Saturday? For me, right off the bat, the guy that stands out to me when it comes to the true freshman early enrollees, the Tribe 20 class, is wide receiver Ja'Kai Douglas um, out of Louisiana committed to Florida State during during the Taggart era, but Mike Norvell and David Johnson, who has a lot of ties to Louisiana, were able to lock him down and keep him in Florida State's class. Very versatile athlete, actually played quarterback during his senior season and also played wide receiver as well. So he was being used all over the field, threw for over 2,000 yards, ran for 1,700 yards, um, I scored over – I think almost 45 touchdowns, if I'm not correct. But really, when you look at that, it's nice to have an athlete who's versatile. But, man, his speed is just insane. Ran an 11.07 second personal best in the 100-meter dash. And I think that's something Florida State needs on offense. Game-changing speed that can lead to big plays. And he's just a guy that I'm excited to watch develop. Well, since I won't be there to watch the practice, I'm instead going to represent for the brand. Punters are people, too. Alex Mastromano, <laughs> do work out there, buddy. The punter from down under. There it is. Wonderful, and I'm sure that won't be the won't be the last time we hear that. That was really impressive. <laughs> I go to Outback Steakhouse, so I'm good with Australian accents. Of course you are. Uh, let's see from mine. I'm mm, this one's tough for me because I think a few of them are, I'm going to go a guy that just has, I don't know why people, I mean, people are, have given him a hard time. I'm going with the country boy. I'm going Josh Griffiths. And obviously he was committed to FSU flipped it. Louisville came with Purdy back to FSU and a lot of fans gave him a lot of crap. A lot of FSU fans, for some reason, don't like him as much and all that kind of jazz. I think he – I want to see how he interacts on the field. I want to see how he works. I want to see what, what his mental state's like and how physical he is. Coming from IMG, he is going to be able – he's going to want to uh, maybe talk some trash. I don't know. Uh, he might have a chip on his shoulder too. Uh, but I'm interested to see how Josh Griffiths does. I do think, obviously, you have Roden Maker there. Um, you've got Stephen Dix Jr. Uh, also, I know I think a big one too is Zane Herring, offensive line, obviously coming from Madison County. Also, uh, big boy, big boy. Uh, I think too. I'm gonna keep. I'm interested in seeing him whenever we get out there. Uh, and then we, we pretty much touched on, touched on this multiple times, too. And we talked about it last week with the difference we think it will be under the new staff. And I personally think 
the difference between Taggart's and Coach Norvell's is how organized it will be and how steady and smooth. And I think that will play a huge effect on how the players will process and go through drills and maybe get things mentally stable in their minds. Uh, you know, and that, that plays a big role. You know, practice makes you perfect, man. Uh, and I, I think a lot of things were disrupted. Definitely if you're coming for Jimbo and you ended up with Willie Taggart, I, I, I think a lot of guys got mi- misconstrued uh, when they went through practices under Willie Taggart. And I went to a few Willie Taggart practices and I noted on it. It just didn't look, I don't know. And I thought it maybe, I thought it was just always because the media was there and like the open to public, it was open to public and that's why it was. But, from what we had with Nooney Murray, and we've heard from Keith Gavin, too, note on it, it's just a whole 180 from what Jimbo Fisher used to rant, run with them before Willie Tiger came. Yeah, I think the intensity will be totally different. Austin said it earlier. Some of these guys are going to be shocked by what they're going to have to go through during these practices. and I, Some of these guys have already been shocked by what they're having to go through at workouts. I mean, they're... They're just not used to the level of work it requires to be an elite college football program. And Mike Norvell is going to remind them very quickly what they're going to have to do and how they're going to have to stay in line for this program to get back to what it needs to be. And it's all, it's all going to start this spring. We've already seen one guy quit. We haven't even had a full practice yet. Yeah. On his birthday, he was pretty much told to get the hell out of Tallahassee. So Mike Norvell, he's not playing around. He's not your friend. <laughs> no, no. And I'm, I'm all about it. That's why I'm really, that's why, like I said, hopefully we'll be able to get there and we can come on here and tell you guys about it. Immediately it would be an instant reaction podcast and get out to you really quickly because I, I just want to see how Norvell works and company around him. Uh, I want to see Chris Marv on how he works with the linebacker group. Is there another coach that you guys are interested in and maybe hearing about or looking forward to seeing out there on the field. I know Dustin will be with me, but who are you looking for, Dustin, seeing out on the field coaching-wise? Coaching-wise, it's tough. I I have to go with Alex Atkins out of uh, Charlotte, offensive line coach, because we've heard so many good things about him since his hire and just how good he is at coaching up the offensive line and developing players, being able to connect with them. So I want to see how that transition transitions over to a Florida State offensive line that has had, what is it, three? This is the fourth different offensive line coach in four years now. So it's it's got to be really tough on those players' mentalities to be going through so many coaching changes, so many different schemes. And I want to see how Alex Atkins goes into that situation, kind of rebuilds their confidence, and starts transforming those guys into what he wants his offensive line to look like. Yeah, Atkins would have been who I said as well, because being up here in Charlotte and being around the mall that's near UNC Charlotte a lot, a lot of UNC Charlotte football players come through, and every time I see them, I'll say, hey, what were your thoughts on Atkins? And they all say such great things about him. So how he can go from... UNC Charlotte to Florida State and still coaching at a high level. I'm, I'm very curious to see. Mine real quick. I want to see Adam Fuller. I'm always looking for that coach that is, well, he's not going to do it in the public, but he's going to cuss <laughs> you out if you screw up on a rep and he's going to keep, uh, keep cussing you out and have that just devil voice. I think it's going to be Adam Fuller from what I've seen in interviews and maybe uh, Thomason too. 
But I'm going to go Adam Fuller here also along with Chris Marv. Uh, Marv is more of I want to see how he works. Also a young coach too, working with a group that both – you got two young coaches. You got to understand this. Norvell's got two young coaches that are working with two position groups that are in a huge need of some kind of upward – uh, progress in every way, shape, and form. Um, and uh, uh, like y'all, Atkins, and then also Chris Marv. And I just, I just want to see Adam Fuller cut someone out. But that's just on my personal side of things. So that's pretty much going to do it for the spring, uh, our spring rundown of things. Obviously, it gets kicked off on Saturday, and hopefully, we'll be there. Let's jump into basketball, and obviously on the road, Florida State loses to Clemson 70-69. to And you know what I'm thinking right now, Dustin? You made those 69 jokes, and 69 screwed you <laughs> once. 69 screwed you once again, because in the last podcast, you used 69 as one of your trivia answers. And 69 screwed you and the Florida State fan base once again. So I think the blame's on Dustin Lewis this week. Uh, Austin. It's always it's always good when it's a sixty nine though. What about if they lose in the, What about if they lose at Clemson seventy to sixty nine? I mean, even a bad sixty nine is a good sixty nine, you know. <laughs> All right, someone please start talking about basketball. Yeah, it was just one of those games where it, it was very similar to the Duke game where Florida State hunt around. They couldn't make free throws, and there was a bad call at the end of the game that left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. This time, instead of a cylinder call, it was an inadvertent whistle. Again, something you very rarely see in a college basketball game. But, hey, happened to Florida State. Check it off on the bingo card. Um, it was it was just one of those games. Florida State was turning it over. Clemson was hitting timely shots. And then that inadvertent whistle call that would have completely changed the momentum for Florida State because instead of getting a breakaway steal and dunk, they have to – reset their offense and score in the half court, which they did, but instead of getting a timeout to set their defense and get a few plays in mind for what Clemson might run, Clemson just says, hey, let's go for it. They push the ball in transition and score a layup with a second left, and it's so hard to prepare for that as a defense. I'm trying to get a half-court play set up and a full-court defense set up in, I think, what was 18 seconds. Um it was just one of those games that, as of right now, it doesn't stand as a bad loss because Clemson moved up to a quadrant one opponent with that win. Um, but you'd still much rather come out of that with a win than a loss. Yeah, and as bad as that final minute or so was officiating-wise and how it, how it ended up with those calls, honestly, a game like this, it, you don't want to put it – you don't want to put the final result – in the hands of the officials and have have a chance for a whistle to to decide the final score and Florida State I mean they played pretty well in the first half went into halftime with a 39-32 lead came out of the break Trent Forrest hit a three and suddenly the Seminoles were up 10 and looked like they might want run away with this one and instead like you said Austin Clemson hit timely shots Tigers did a great job of responding from that deficit and getting back in the game, battling with Florida State down to the final seconds, and that's that's just how it worked out. And a guy I want to point out real quick, who we gave a lot of love to on the last podcast, and Raekwon Gray scored 11 points and six rebounds against Louisville, and 
we were talking about how he's going to the basket at rim and just doing what he wanted and how that's the Raekwon Gray he needs to be all the time. He was anything but in this game against Clemson. Raekwon went 0 out of 5 from the field, 0 out of 4 from 3, which I think just shows um, the amount of aggression he had on offense. He was settling for outside shots instead of going right to the rim like he was against Louisville when he felt really comf- when he felt really comfortable. Did have five rebounds and two assists, but just just the overall flow of the offense from him, and he played 22 minutes in this game, wasn't really good enough down low, and yeah, he was a he was a guy that really stood out to me as a dud in this one. And another guy I want to point out, we're huge fans of him on this podcast, but from the free throw line, Malik, dude, I love you. Man. Yeah, one of six from the free throw line at NC State. 0-3 here against Clemson. Come on, man. Hit a free throw. That's why you're not playing that much. Because I think he only played like 13, 13 And he had 11 points. He started off 3-for-3 three three from 3 in the first like 2 minutes. And then you hardly see him the rest of the game because he can't hit free throws. And he's struggling with fouls. He's a great player when he's on the floor. But he's got to be able to hit those free throws. If Florida State hits just 2 more free throws, they win this game. And they're normally great free throw shooting team. There's 76, 77% free throw shooting team. He shot 61% in this Clemson game. That's a huge difference in in this game. It was the difference. Yeah, and one thing we have on our on our notes here is Florida State's turnovers. Seminoles had 16 turnovers in this game. Austin, I gotta ask you, how many of those turnovers were bullshit? Because Florida State was called for seven offensive fouls in this game. Pretty sure they were all charges. And it was it was almost the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen a team get called for seven charges before. Yeah, and I feel like half of them are Trent, which Trent Trent very rarely draws a charge. He's normally very good about hitting that little floater to avoid the charge. There was one where the Clemson player was still moving sideways and still got a charge call. I was so many were like that. Where it seemed my like Clemson mind was moving. And it wasn't just <laughs> offensive fouls that were making mad the Tripping call Malik out while he's diving for a ball. I don't even think he touches the Clemson player. There's a sh- second left on the shot clock. Yeah. And the ref calls a foul, and Clemson goes to the free throw line because they're in the bonus. It was just stuff like that that made the game so irritating because Florida State absolutely could have and arguably should have won, but they just didn't. Um, Florida State still had three guys in double figures, Devin with 14, Trent with 11, and mentioned earlier with Malik with 11. Patrick Williams was a little quiet in a night they really needed him. MJ was as well, even though he had an incredibly clutch shot. If Florida State wins, they're talking. everyone's talking about that ankle breaker step back he hits. But instead, mm-hmm. we're talking about an inadvertent whistle call and Alamir Dawes layup with one second left that somehow he reversed under Trent Forrest and under the rim and spun it off the top corner of the backboard, hung on the rim for about two seconds and dropped. <laughs> And yeah, real quick, Austin, let's go back to that last sequence. Let's go back to that inadvertent whistle. Obviously, um, Florida State on defense is able to get the loose ball back in bounce and find a wide open Trent Forrest streaking down the court for a dunk to take a one-point lead in this one with about 16 seconds and change left in the game. And as Forrest catches the ball in his run-up to, to slam down the dunk, um, a ref near the scores table randomly blows a whistle. Then there's a five-minute or so stoppage while, while, while the refs are trying to figure out what the hell is going on because they didn't even know. 
and it ends up with Florida State. The only reason they got the possession back is because they had the possession error at the time because the refs just had no idea how to conclude that sequence, I guess. And it ends up with Florida State getting the ball. They score to go ahead, um, and then Clemson takes it down and, like you said, Austin, finishes a ridiculous layup that falls in with about one second left before Raekwon Gray has to just pretty much throw a full-court heave as a buzzer expires, a, a prayer. So, Austin, let's say the, in, the inadvertent whistle hadn't been blown. Florida State gets that dunk to go up. Trent Forrest would have dunked it, and there probably would have been about 16 seconds or so on the dot remaining. Florida State's up one at that point. How does that change the complexion of this ballgame? It's, it, it's a huge it's a huge difference in complexion. I, Trent even noticed it in – or mentioned in his postgame interview – there's a 99% chance Coach Brad Brown now takes a timeout there because Florida State has the momentum. It was on a breakaway, so there's no one there to inbound the ball. He's probably going to call a timeout, get something set up. On the flip side, Florida State, you've got one of the best X's and O's coaches in all of college basketball with Coach Stan Jones, who knows every inbounds play these guys run. Plus you had Coach Steve Smith, who was with Clemson for years. You've got guys that know any situation that they're going to go through with 15 seconds left. You know what plays they're going to run. So they can say hey, in the huddle, hey, watch for this, watch for this. But instead, that entire five – or not the entire five-minute review, but a good majority of this, hey, this is what we're going to do on offense. We're going to try and get Trent driving downhill and finish, which he did. He scored with about eight, nine seconds left. I think they were somewhat expecting Clemson to call a timeout there still. But I think it was great coaching by Brownell to say, no, go with it, see what you can get in transition. Um, and it worked out for them. I think Florida State still played the last possession well defensively. Um, Trent did everything he could to stop the guy in front of him and not foul, because not fouling is the most important part there. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's just such a tough way to lose. It's, it's life in the ACC, I yeah. guess. It was it was heartbreaking watching it live. <laughs> yeah, it was. I didn't even want to write for about two hours. <laughs> Especially because it was like uh, it looked like Florida State was going to overcome that officiating error, and instead they get it snatched right back in that fashion with the layup falling one second left and not having anything anything else you can do other than throw the full court heave. Just absolutely heartbreaking. Can I, can I say something for the listeners and the fans real sure. quick? This is just from what I think they're thinking right now. Uh, the ACC officials are fucking clowns. <laughs> okay, I'm done. And I'm the, done. The thing about those refs are, it, it was funny. I'm, I don't Which know how many people. Do they work at? Huh, well, that's kind of where I'm going with this. <laughs> I don't know how many people follow me on Twitter, but I'm starting a thread on every college basketball arena I've gone to. And last week I went to Davidson, Davidson's home game against LaSalle, and the yeah. same refs that refed or refed ACC Clemson were the same ones at Davidson LaSalle. They were phenomenal in the Davidson game. Like I was blown away by how great they were. Then they get to Clemson and they're the worst officials I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? It was cl- I've never seen anything like it. The, pretty much when watching, I rewatched it last night with my dad who. Didn't get to see. He got he does life flight, so he got a call just one minute before the end of the game, which sucked for him. But he didn't get to see the ending. He never saw the officiated call, and just 
how long those clowns took to for them to figure it out. And pretty much they were just sitting there like, I don't know what the fuck I just did pretty much. That's what the one guy on the left pretty much looked like. He was like, I don't really know what, 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 what we're doing here. I don't understand. How do we make this up? Surprise, Leonard Hamilton, I swear, has gotten sweeter. I thought Leonard Hamilton was going to. He, he, he do... knows how to work a press conference room. He knows he can't say anything. He knows the refs already aren't, his, aren't on his side. He doesn't want to make them even less on his side. But I, I like... want to give I want to give Florida State credit because the last 45 seconds, they played it about as perfectly as they could have. They were down two. They sent Clemson's worst free throw shooter to the line. He splits one of two. Trent gets the easy layup to make it a one-point game. Then wasn't again, he, I mean, it wasn't was it was it easy or was it like damn okay damn well, for Trent two guy yeah for him most certainly for Trent he he got yeah. to the basket finished. But any then other, again, yeah. then again they foul Clemson's worst free throw shooter. He misses both. The only thing they did wrong was. Instead of Turk grabbing the rebound, there's a scramble for it, and then the lawn heat pass, and that's how we get to the inadvertent whistle. But they played those last 45 seconds so well, and for it to end in such a crappy way, it sucks. Y'all excited for this Notre Dame game? Yeah, luckily for Florida State, as we move towards this uh, Notre Dame preview, Duke did end up falling later that same night on the road at Virginia, which means Florida State still controls their own destiny destiny to win the regular season ACC title for the first time in school history. It's before we said it came down the last three games. Now it comes down to the last two. Florida State is going to have to win at Notre Dame on Wednesday night, which will be at 9 p.m. on ESPN2. And then they're also going to have to win Saturday's senior day game against Boston College. Yeah, and Notre Dame, yeah, people need to stop sleeping on them. They've won, started to win some games, and now sit fifth in the conference at 9-9, nine and nine, which you would have thought with Notre Dame, the way they started out conference play. They've won their last five at home. Granted, it's against, I think it's Pitt, Miami, Carolina, uh, Wake Forest, and someone else that's in the bottom part of the conference. But still, they won five straight at home. They're sitting at 18-11, 9-9 in the conference. If they can win a couple games, maybe get to the semifinals or the finals of the ACC tournament, maybe they can squeak their way in to March Madness, at least force a discussion about it, because they haven't. They certainly haven't been eliminated. They just need those big wins. Florida State barely scraped by with a win last time in Tallahassee, 85-84. to 84. They looked like they had control of it before Notre Dame stormed back in the last five minutes to make it a really close game, a lot closer than everyone wanted. Um Notre Dame shoots a ton of threes. I think they're top 25 and three-pointers attempted, making them at 34.2%. You've got John Mooney, who's averaging a double-double with 17 points and 13 rebounds, basically. He's probably going to be first-team All-ACC if he's not. It's a snub. You've got TJ Gibbs, Princess Hub, Dane Goodwin, all in double figures. They may only play seven rotation guys, but this is, this is still a good team. Yeah, and since they last played Florida State when they were 11 and 8 overall, Notre Dame has went 8 and 3 in a stretch of 11 games. Their only losses being at Virginia, at Duke, and at Wake Forest. So, like you said, Austin, they've won five straight at home. They've they've lost at three pretty tough environments, I would say. After we watched Wake take down Duke in double overtime last week, maybe Wake's hot. 
at this point of the season. So Notre Dame, they're definitely going to be ready for Florida State coming in on Wednesday night. And Notre Dame knows that they need this win to continue to improve their chances at making the NCAA tournament. So I, ex- I expect the, the Irish to be ready to go for this game. And Florida State's going to have their hands full once again, just like they did at Clemson on Saturday. Hopefully the officiating's a little better. Well, it can't be worse. But <laughs> it's it's just one of those plays. This is a game I had thought up as a loss before the season just because I thought Notre Dame was going to be better than they were last season. Last season they had injuries. They were young. And they just they didn't really quite know what they were doing this year. They're more experienced. They're healthier. They're shooting the ball better. Coach Bray is a very good coach. I'm a big fan of his, even if he went on that little tirade against <laughs> after us last time, saying the refs are never on their side, which, okay, dude. Um, but, I mean, they, they still they still very much have an outside chance at the tournament. They sit currently 58th, 58th in the net rankings. Think if they could win here against Florida State, get a Quadrant 1 win, they, there's currently 2-6 and six in Quadrant 1 games. If they can pick up a win here, pick up a win in the ACC tournament against a Virginia or a Louisville. That's going to help their chances a ton to maybe bump up into that top 50 and force their way into making the committee, making a, making a decision. Um, it's going to be an annoying game just because they shoot a ton of threes. It was an annoying game last time they were in Tallahassee, and it's always an annoying game when a team that shoots a lot of threes against us is playing against us. Yeah. Um, I think Florida State will still be favored. Because I, I just don't see them losing two games in a row. That's just not the way this team's built. But it, if Florida State's here, it may only be by one or two points because it's a road game in March. Yeah, last time Florida State and Notre Dame played, it w- the final score was 85-84. Seminoles actually controlled the majority of the game, led 47-37 at halftime, and also led 71-57 with about eight or nine minutes left in the game. But then Notre Dame went on a run down the stretch, um, got got it to 85-84 with a chance to take the lead before Raekwon Gray was able to record a controversial block, I guess I guess oh. Mike Bray would say, as he did in his press conference. Um, and Florida State was able to escape with a win. Man, every time Florida State plays Notre Dame, I, I feel like it's close. Kind of reminds me of that. I, you said it during the recap of, of this this sequence of Florida State Notre Dame, but remind you of when Jonathan Isaac was getting all those blocks to help Florida State survive then against Notre Dame a couple of years ago. So you have to be thinking Notre Dame's going to be wanting to get some revenge on Wednesday night. Um, John Mooney has been playing pretty solid recently. I believe he, he dropped 24 yeah, 24 and 17 at Wake Forest in a loss. Also had 22 and 12 against Boston College, 19 and 12 against Miami. So he's been pretty consistent in his out, outings lately, and he'll be looking for another dominant performance against Florida State. Yeah, and he he didn't look that great against Florida State last time. But right. I, 16 the, points and five rebounds. Yeah, those five rebounds are the real sticking point there because I think you you said that in your prediction of Wild or. Bold predictions, you said he'd be held under seven rebounds. I'm like, there's no way. It's five. But <laughs> Notre Dame's just one of those places. It's one of those weird voodoo places. Last time Florida State went there two years ago, they were stuck there in the snow for like two days. Um, I, m- I remember one of our managers that was stuck in that shirt wasn't very happy. But 
it is what it is. There's something about that place. It's and it's hard to win at. It's a very tough road environment. Those students are brutal, um, at least from the stories I've heard. So, but it's another chance for Florida State to get a, another resume building win heading in heading into the ACC tournament. I do think Florida State will win. Moving into my prediction, I think it's going to be fairly high scoring and fairly close, uh, somewhere in the 78 to 76 range. That's your prediction? Yeah. 78, 76? Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, looking at this one, last time Florida State and Notre Dame played, and, I mean, continuing to this point, even looking at Notre Dame's game against Wake Forest, the Irish run a very tight rotation, only about six guys, and that depends on foul trouble. Sometimes it's cut down to mainly five guys out there for the majority of the 40 minutes. So Florida State, we say it every time, definitely going to have the advantage depth-wise. Um, in the first meeting, this was the game where Wyatt, Wyatt Wilkes really began to go on that tear. Uh, I'm trying to pull it up really quickly so I don't fudge his stats, but Wyatt Wilkes had 19 points, 5 of 6 from 3-point range against Notre Dame. Don't think we're going to see a performance like that from Wyatt this time, but definitely think he should be able to get some minutes in this one. With uh, I think he he's a favorable matchup for FSU against Notre Dame offensively, at least. And Raquan Gray was also a guy who stepped up last time against Notre Dame, had 13 points on six of 10 shooting and one of one from distance. So I'm, I'm looking for Raquan Gray to rebound. I'm also looking for Devin Vassell. This is the kind of game where you, if you're going to be an NBA prospect, I mean, you've got to be able to perform on the road. So I'm looking to Vassell and Patrick Williams to step up following average performances at Clemson. But in the end, I'm sorry to say it, guys. I don't think it's going to be enough. I think Notre Dame beats Florida State 80-76. to 76. Wow. Dustin going with the L. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to I do, do it. I, I didn't want to do I, it. I don't blame you. And I had this as a loss before the season. I, just, I think there's too much veteran leadership in the locker room and in the coaching staff for them to lose two games in a row this soon or this close to March Madness. Now, Austin, if, if Florida State does lose this game, that means Louisville would win the regular season conference title if they went out, correct? Correct. And Louisville only has one game left, but it's at Virginia. So, and Virginia's played really well yeah. recently. Beat Duke. Beat Duke at beat, home. Beat Duke. They beat us at home. It's a tough place to play at I don't remember off the top of my head, but I feel like they've just been on an absolute tear recently. Let me see if I can find it. So if Florida State does end up losing this this game and then Louisville loses at Virginia and then Duke also lost at Virginia on Saturday, like, like I mentioned, that means Florida State still wins the regular season title? Yeah, as long as Florida as – obviously as long as Florida State wins out, they're good. Yeah. If Louisville drops one more, yeah. If Louisville drops one more, I think no, not automatically. We still we'd still have to win at least one. Um, and then with Duke, they beat NC State tonight, so I think they still have one. I think they only have one more game left against Carolina. I know Which we if, probably win. Yeah, and if there's a three-way tiebreaker between Florida State, Louisville, and Duke, Florida State wins. 
to the two-way tiebreaker between Florida State and Louisville. Florida State wins. If it's between Duke and FSU, Duke wins. Um, there's a really weird scenario where all four of Virginia, FSU, Duke, and Louisville finish at 15-5. and five. In that scenario, I think Florida State still wins. <laughs> With Virginia second, Louisville third, Duke fourth. Wow. But I don't know off the top of my head. That would be that would be insane. It's a really weird scenario. Um, but yeah, just to speak how well Virginia has done recently, they've won nine of their last ten, with that only loss coming uh, to Louisville in Louisville at the KFC Yum Center. And that at one point Louisville thought or Louisville looked like they were running away with it, and Virginia stormed back. Um, but besides that, they've been really good recently. And yeah, moving moving forward real quick to wrap up the basketball segment. Former Florida State assistant coach Dennis Gates, who was named the head coach of Cleveland State this offseason, was named the head the co-coach of the year in the Horizon League during his first year at Cleveland State. Cleveland State is currently 11 and 20 on the season, which doesn't sound great, but if Cleveland State wins their last game against Oakland, they tie for their most wins in a season in the last five years with a roster of 12 new players. So just really a testament to what Dennis Gates has done during his short time at Cleveland State and obviously integrating a ton of new players. And it really just speaks to to how good of a coach he is. Austin, I'm sure you can say some really good things about him. Um, his, his coaching career is really just getting started and – you know, depending on how things go at Cleveland State, he can just continue to move up the ranks. I'm sure he's a guy that you'd potentially like to see back at Florida State one day once Leonard Hamilton decides to hang it up. Yeah, I'm super happy for Coach Gates. He, me and him always had a very good relationship while I was there at Florida State. Um, and once he got he got to Cleveland State really late in the hiring process, and once he got there, he had to build an entirely new roster because like 10 of the 12 scout or it was either 10 or 11 scholarship players were in the transfer portal. So you had to get a whole bunch of JUCO guys, a whole bunch of freshmen. And to get them to be not good, but as successful as they've been in the last five years, that's that's pretty good for Coach Gates. Um, and we've mentioned before on here that we think he can be the next in line behind Co- Coach Hamilton as long as he keeps building steady progress there at Cleveland State. I'm super happy for Coach Gates, and I, I don't think this will be his last Coach of the Year award. Logan. Y'all ready for some questions now? Yeah. I think we'll just do questions. I don't know if we have enough time to go into trivia and bad dad jokes unless y'all still have time. It's already 12.15. I'm good. Let's just speed it up. All right. Well, I have class in seven seven and a half hours, so I'm excited. Or not seven and a half, eight and a half hours, so I'm excited for that. Uh, All right, let's jump into it then. Question number one is coming from Twitter, Robber2286, and he asks, if Norvell has a nine-win season this year, what do you think happens with recruiting and the future? I think it it really just expands Florida State's reach on the recruiting trail. Um, I can't remember the, the exact camp that was held this past weekend but i know a lot of a lot of the elite recruits in attendance 
didn't really mention Florida State very much. There was a lot of talk of UF, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, schools like that, but not much of Florida State. And that's that's really because Florida State has struggled over the past couple of years. I mean, 2017, you go seven and six. 2018, five and seven, and then to 2019, six and seven. So recently, Florida State hasn't been very good, and it really it just changes the whole complexion of the landscape if they start to have some success. Um, a lot of a lot more talented recruits will will be looking at FSU. And that's one thing that players want to see from Norvell. They want to see if the success is going to come back to Florida State. If it does, we'll see some talent start to flock to Tallahassee again. And as for the future, I mean, the more talent you have on your roster, the better chance you have of winning a national championship. Um, Florida State didn't have – they had a ton of talent this year when it came to recruiting rankings, but that talent just wasn't developed. So Florida – Norvell and his coaching staff, they just got to continue to develop guys, and that'll just continue to make the future look brighter. Yeah, I don't even think they need to get to nine wins. I think if they can get to eight, the future will be looking a lot better as far as recruiting, and not just for the 2021 class, but for the classes going down the line. Wins make everything better in life. Let's be honest. Next question is going to come from Alex underscore is me zero three. And he asks any chance to get Pooh bear on the pod. And I believe he's referring to Clarence Williams, former FSU player who played fullback position for Florida state. Everybody knows who Pooh bear is. And I actually have not, this was the first time Alex that I've actually had someone suggest having Clarence on, uh, and that's probably maybe something that we can work on because uh, I like talking to fullbacks. We've had Coleman on before. I really would like to talk to uh, Lonnie Pryor. We've had Freddie Stevenson on here too. I like fullbacks. <laughs> I like fullbacks, physical guys. Uh, so maybe that's something that we should probably get in the works of and get in contact with Mr. Williams. This next question is coming from at FSU Garnet Gold. How do you think Tate Roadmaker will perform this spring? So we obviously noted on him a lot of times throughout this podcast, definitely in our spring preview in the quarterback battle. Um, but what? just real quick from both of you guys, and I'll give my stand, what do you think will come out of this performance from Tate Roadmaker being the true freshman coming in? Purdy still is not on campus. I think he's going to show a lot of a, a lot of talent, a lot of ability, definitely with his arm, that there's that there's a lot there if he can put it all together. He's not going to put it all together as a true freshman, but the signs are going to be there that moving into later in his career, he can be something great. And I think that's what the, the coaching staff is going to want to see from him. Yeah, I think he's got a ton of talent. I don't know if he'll show it right away, but towards the end of the spring and going into the summer, I think he'll – Definitely show some flashes. Uh, I think one thing that comes out for Tate Redmaker is that he's faced good competition throughout his high school career. Yeah. I think that will you know, make a good presence for him coming into the spring. And like I said earlier, I think the, the, the statue that both Blackman and Redmaker kind of have that physical, uh, those kind of same attributes that both hold, I think it'll be pretty interesting. I, I, and I think it, it, he's going to create a good competition. It's a true freshman coming in. And if you see a true freshman that's hitting the right throws, accuracy's on point. And it definitely, if he's hitting deep balls, you know, 
Blackman's going to step up a little bit, and he's going to have good competition. And, you know, you still have Jordan Travis, too, but, you know, specifically from the question. I think Roadmaker is a true freshman. I think we'll maybe get Blackman a little bit more focused on field more than anything. Up next is from Trambell. There's some kind of noise coming there from Dustin. I don't know what that is. Well, that's uh, I great. It's gone. I think it's gone now. It sounded like you were in a, like, food factory or something. <laughs> okay, I didn't mean to say food factory. I was going to say like a construction site or something, but food factory just I was like, what, what's a food factory? It's like making like food or something. It sounded like you're at like a conveyor belt in an airport. Hmm. Is there something you need to tell us? <laughs> no, I'm chilling. Okay, okay. I didn't know if you are leaving us. Uh, next question is from Trem LB85 asks if you can pick all, if you can only pick one which player do you want to see take the next step up this up in this spring? Oh man, does Austin want to take it first this time? Does he want to? Um, I'm thinking. I mean, I can. Oh gosh, I want. <laughs> I I got a guy. I got a guy. How about? How about DJ DJ Matthews? Because mm. Florida State obviously has an established option at wide receiver in Tamoran Terry, who's likely to be an early round draft pick in the uh, 2021 NFL draft. But they also have rising senior DJ Matthews, who is also a pretty heralded talent coming out of Jacksonville, um, out of high school. And in 2017, as a true freshman, he kind of showed some flashes of what he could be returning punts and also getting a little bit of a little bit of time as receiver. And, you know, he showed off that athleticism. He showed some talent, returned a punt against Miami for a touchdown, obviously in, in 2018 and what ended up being a loss. And I don't know for, for whatever reason, it just hasn't totally clicked for DJ Matthews yet. Um, in 2019, he had 36 catches for 355 yards and three touchdowns, which is not the stat line you want out of your number two wide receiver. I mean, you definitely want to see him have more production. And I'm just wondering if if a change in offensive style will suit him better. Obviously, you still have Ron Dugans there coaching him, but the the offense will be a little different with how Norvell and Dillingham want to run things. So, I want to see him step up and become a solid number two option for whoever ends up starting at quarterback. For me, the one player I'd like to see take a step up is uh, Darius Washington. Started three games left tackle last year and looked okay before he went down with injury. If he can take that next step up to being solid to good, obviously that helps a lot with Florida State's offense and what they can do offensively, running the ball, passing the ball, just everything. Um Obviously, he needs to get healthy. He needs to get a little bit stronger, but the technique and the flashes were there. If he can take that next step up, I think Florida State's in good hands. Uh, for me, uh, this one, which I just completely just lost in my head. Um, I'm thinking about my exam on Thursday. Uh, who did I have? Oh, here we go. Janarius Robinson, J-Rob. He decides, obviously, I mean, I think it's a great idea. He told the media early on after the season that he was indeed planning to coming back to Florida state. I think this is a good idea for him. Uh, I'm hoping his recovery is going well, but I need to see him. His he's 
always had the physical attributes. He is a specimen, like unlike any other. I can't remember someone as big as him. Um, that that has such a potential. It's all just depended on you know maybe the way he is going through conditioning throughout the season. If he can really pass a rusher as well, he did show a lot of good flashes last season. I feel like I say this a lot throughout every offseason, but I'd, I'd really want to see J-Rob really compete with Kanda, man. I would like to see him compete for that number one spot because I think he can. Um, obviously, Kando has more of that rich talent, but Janarius Robinson, I, I, I really am pushing to see him have a big spring. And I and I think, and think he's a big leader. He's been I feel like he's been around for so long. I've played against him in high school. I'm getting ready to graduate. This is my year of graduating, so I, I'm really pushing for J. Rob to have a have a good spring here, and, and obviously he's gonna have he's gonna be high up on the depth chart already. But I really want to see him and take it to a next tier and really compete with Joshua Kendo, who will have a chance to get drafted. I want to see J. Rob. He's he's. I just need to see him move up on that speed and get after the quarterback. Um, next question is coming from Alex underscores me zero three again. Asks if if you could take any player from the. 2013 national championship team to be on next year's team. Who would it be? Mine would be Nick O'Leary or Cam Irving, he says. So which player would you pick that would be best fit for this upcoming team that you need this season? There's so many because there's just so many holes throughout the roster. You could take Jameis. You could take Devontae. You could take any offensive lineman, but probably (laughs) Cam Irving. You could take Nickler, you could take Timmy Jernigan, you could take Telvin, you could take Jalen Ramsey, you could take PJ Williams. You could take so many guys and it would improve Florida State this upcoming season. So who are you taking? I, I'm taking Cam. I, I'm taking Cam Irving just because the offensive line's so bad. I was just giving examples. Shut up, Who'd you pick? Cam Irving. Who? Cam oh, Irving. Irving. Okay, okay. Not bad, not bad. Okay. Um I'm going to go with a position of need. I'm going to go with Telvin Smith. Mm. I think he he would kind of be the perfect fit on this team just because of the mentality that he brings to the roster. He wouldn't be fine with guys lagging around and not living up to what they need to do on the field to be successful. And, you know, if if guys weren't doing things the right way, he would step up and and tell them like he, he would let them know he's that vocal yeah. leader, fiery personality type guy. And man, he would, he would just be so fun to have on this roster. I think he would, the way, the way the defense has performed over the last couple of years, he would not stand for that. At this point, like uh, with this offensive line that's, that's at Florida state, you can't, you just got to have more than one 2013 guy there. Honestly, it's <laughs> atrocious. So screw it. Give me friggin' Jameis Winston. He just revamps the whole team as a whole. I think the offensive line as a whole would play better under him. They would fight better, whatever you want to say. Jameis Winston just changes the whole room. He, he did. I mean, even in 2012, whenever he was not playing, he was redshirted. He still, there's there's many of stories that guys have came on here and talked about how he changed that locker room and how, you know, leaders that weren't really maybe going to be leaders really stepped up and talked. Telvin Smith, Telvin Smith, but guys like LaMarcus Joyner, uh, would would come in and talk and be a vocal guy. Timmy Jernigan, um, but yeah, get just give me James Winston. Screw it, f it. Why not? You know, screw it. And I think he's got. You would have some skill guys that are currently on the team that he could work with. Next question is from Jeremiah Myers. 
let's see. Question is, what is what is it about the basketball team that matches up well against Louisville but struggles against other lower-performing teams? I think it's more of just I'll, – I'll answer the last part of the question first about struggling against lower-performing teams. That's just life on the road in college basketball this year. Teams are struggling against these lower-performing lower teams like the Clemsons and the Virginias and the NC States. Even though Virginia's playing well and we beat NC State, it was still, it was still a shaky game. It's just college basketball this year. It's always going to be tightly contested, and these are still good. These are still good teams. Um, as far as playing well against Louisville, I think there's just something about Florida State and Louisville where they're just going to always smack Louisville. Yeah, I mean, you just you can't blow out everyone every night. Sometimes you're going to struggle, and sometimes you're going to blow people out. I mean, that's just college basketball, and. Uh, a lower a lower tier ACC team might match up with Florida State a little bit better than than a team like Louisville. It's all matchups. It's all the different players on each roster, the the different coaching strategies. It's different every single night, and you just have to adjust. This next and final question is coming from Heath. I'm gonna call you from Twitter. Ask who's more punchable, Trey Jones or Kihei Clark? It's a very close race, and it's a good question, Heath. I really appreciate this one because both these guards are annoying. Um, and can someone name who these? If people don't know who these people are, Trey like, Jones is like the starting me. point guard for Duke, and okay. Kihei Clark's the starting point guard for Virginia. Okay. Uh, Vir- good. So we're punching soon athletes. Let's do it. Here we go. What are we? What <laughs> do we got here? Uh, all I'll say is Balsa Kovarvich has already knocked out Kihei Clark. So, Did he really? I won't yeah. say knocked out, but he definitely decked him. Okay. Um, I, I guess Trey Jones needs one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Austin kind of took my lead in. I was going to say Balsa has already had his way with Kia Clark, so I think we knew. I think we already know who has a more punchable face. Always good to end off the podcast and our questionnaire <laughs> here on punching student athletes always great here and you wonder we're, just counting we're not down. punching them we're just saying in, okay. in theory yeah in yeah. theory okay yeah i got you no worries good content as always here at hear the spear sadly content wise it's going to be cut off we have officially hit our limit here editing wise uh and sadly we can't go over this amount of time so we're going to cut off the trivia here this for FSU trivia and our bad dad jokes segment. It's so sad, I know, but luckily the next episode we'll have more time to uh, go through that. Those two amazing segments that you I've guys. got a really bad one too, so. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> It'll be ready for Thursday. I'm yeah, it's gonna be ones. stepped up. It's gonna be stepped up. Um, so yeah, we have a busy week ahead. I'm just now finding out while I have an exam. So we're recording this now. This is going to go out on Tuesday. We're going to try to record on Thursday and get you guys ready for FSU's final home game against Boston College. And then we have obviously me and Dustin and a few of the other NG staff going to the spring practices. Hopefully that's still open to public and we'll be doing an instant reaction podcast there. So we have a really busy week, Dustin. Do you want to maybe take my exam for me and I can focus on like other things? I really just want you to end this podcast so we don't go past the time limit. 
<laughs> okay, perfect. So as always, thank you guys so much for listening. You can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, <laughs> Google Play. We're also on YouTube. You can subscribe there and be notified if you're on iTunes, all these other places too. Make sure you're subscribed. I can't tell you enough. If you're not subscribing, I don't know what you're doing. But we really appreciate you guys listening to us. Spring practice is coming up soon. The regular season, it's March. That's March, baby. We will talk to you guys on Friday. Y'all have a great start to y'all's week. We'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>